Welcome everyone to episode 80 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is Maddie Fiorenza. So there's lots of stuff to unpack here on this episode. Uh, Maddie is an awesome guy and he's been through an awful, awful lot of things. And it all started really early on, uh, even with some childhood drama. So I'm going to let Maddie just jump in here, tell his story. Um, all the things he went through and came out on the other side and is now helping first responders, uh, military veterans all over the place. It's just a really tremendous story. This guy is awesome and you're going to really, really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here's Maddie. All right. Welcome to the show. Maddie Forenza. Good afternoon to you. How's it going? Did I, did I say your name right? Yeah. They always screw up my name too. No, it's they, that's good. It's Fiorenza. Okay. They yeah. they always say Bernica or something like that. Okay. How do you pronounce it? Bernica. Bernica. Supposedly, that's what I've been told. Okay. <laughs> so. That's a <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting. So I'm gonna, you know, it's funny you bring that up <clears throat> right out of the get go because. Um, you know, I don't know if I publicly have ever said this, but my stepdad adopted me. So my my given last name for my dad, who was a um, a Vietnam veteran, Marine, Orange County Sheriff, Sergeant, Medal of Valor winner, was McGuire. So my my given last name is McGuire, and um, and I was, well, my mom not to get in the weeds too much right out of the bat, but my mom wanted to hurt my dad when he left. So she illegally changed my last name. And, and one of my childhood memories of my dad was in kindergarten. He, I was, you know, when you learn in kindergarten how to spell your last name and your phone number and your address, it's like, sure. you're so proud about it. I remember my dad asking me how to spell. He, he took us every once in a while. And he said, how do you spell your last name? And I said, F-I-O-R-E-N-Z-A. And he went through the roof. It was so, and I was like, I, and for me as a little kid, I internalized that as, oh my gosh, like, what did I do wrong? You know, and we talk about generational trauma and generational shame. And that's, and that, that was my mom's that she passed down to me. That was part of it. Um, and I didn't, and I carried Fiorenza as my last name until, um, until I went to medic school. So I was able to get away with, somehow she got, like back in the day, it wasn't such a big deal. I guess after 9-11, changing your name is a big deal um, because of 9-11. So she, I had a, the only thing that's in McGuire on it was my, um, was my birth certificate. And everything else, my social security card, I was able to get my driver's license, everything said Fiorenza growing up. I, I never had an issue until I went to medic school and I went to get my paramedic license after passing everything. And I had to wait another month and a half. Thank God I had the support. We had a really good um, paramedic coordinator. Uh, her name was Denise Mitchell. She was like the fire department mama. She was amazing. She's on the peer support team still as a retired person. She's great. She's great. And she had so much um, empathy and compassion for me because it was shameful. My, the rest of my class got to go start working as medics and I had to wait two months to legally change my last name to Fiorenza because 
to get the license, they said, what's going on here? Your, your birth certificate says this, and this says this. And I told them and they're like, yeah, no, that's not going to fly. So I had to go legally change it. But you had a social security number and everything else yeah. already. Yeah. Yep. Right. That's amazing. So look at that. Nice. But you, got, you got a really long um, answer to how, if you said my name, right. <laughs> no, but it's good because, you know, I think we really need to start with you um, in your early years. I mean, because yeah. that's when a lot of the trauma started and followed you for a really long time. I, I think the summary of you and, and our listeners will hear this throughout is it's, it's all lots and lots of trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, you know, and that's just one example of um, how we have this, we have this, this generational family trauma, which is really just shame that's passed down from generation to generation to generation. And we take it as kids out of love because our parents are God, right? And it's different for different people and it looks different ways for different people. And, you know, my, like I said, my dad was, my dad was a Vietnam vet. He had a very stressful job. He got a medal of valor because he was in a shooting where his partner was shot and he had to kill, you know, a guy and, 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 uh, he lost his brother, my uncle Ricky in Vietnam. He was 19. He died over there. He wanted to be like his older brother and he followed him over there and he never made it back. And there was just, there was a lot of trauma on and shame on that side of the family. All my, my, my dad, his brother, my uncle Ricky, my aunt Nor, and um, my aunt Liz, they all died before my grandparents did. My grandparents outlived all four of their kids. That's tough. Because my dad, my dad ended up having the big one at 53 years old. He was still on the job. He was cleaning his golf shoes in the backyard and no one was home and he had a massive heart attack. And he died. And, and, um, and we didn't have the greatest relationship. He left when I was three months old. And my mom was mad, <laughs> you know, and I get it. Like I, as a kid, we internalize all this stuff that happens that um, essentially that there's something wrong with me. That's how little kids internalize. When parents get divorced, oh my gosh, it's my fault. What did I do? What mom and dad are fighting. That means I'm defective. You know, I'm defective. I'm alone. And, and no one else is going through what I'm going through. Right. And then, so, um, so we come up with, with a winning formula. Or, or a fixed way of being. And it looks different for different people. You know, I, I'm going to be a good athlete. I'm going to be a good student. I'm going to be a bad kid. I'm going to be, you know, whatever it is, we come up with this winning formula because it's a way of essentially deflecting people really getting to know what's going on on the inside. And that's shame. So, um, you know, at a young age, my mom, my mom and my dad were, they were, uh, they were high school sweethearts, you know, and, and then it was, you know, some of my early childhood memories are, it's a lot of fighting, a lot of arguing. My dad, um, injured my mom in front of me. Um, and then she gets remarried. She has my little brother, um, who's a fireman also. 
in Hemet, California. He, uh, he is an engineer on the hazmat team. Um, I don't know if you've heard me say this before. I like to say it because I feel like my little brother did everything I did in life, but better, you know? Um, so, but he was right there with, you know, with me during all of it too. So, um, at a very young age, you know, my mom was upset and she's like, you know, your dad, your dad used to talk about, he always wanted to have a boy. And as soon as he had one, he left us, you know? So a lot of my, you know, early years are me trying to figure out why, why dad left. Why, why wasn't dad here? Well, dad, he's out saving the world and, and I'm getting my ass kicked trying to get my bike home because I grew up really poor and I lived in some poor um, neighborhoods in Southern California. Um, one of them, the, the street's called Kingsley. It's in Pomona, California, and it's like training day. One way in, one way out, all apartments. And uh, I stood out, you know, I stood out in that neighborhood. So I got picked on. So, you know, my, my winning formula was to be a tough guy and to be a bully. And I played, um, I played football and ice hockey and I like to smash people up, you know? Um, but really on the inside, I was just this little, little boy who's just constantly in fear, you know? And that's um, without going into too much detail. I mean, I can tell you story after story after story. There's a lot of fighting, um, a lot of violence, a lot of abuse. I was sexually abused and I was just, I spent a lot of time as a little kid in fear. And that's where my post-traumatic stress started. And that's what a lot of people um, need to hear. Because really, as a culture, we, we're a shame-based culture. A lot of us have these, these um, situations happen to us as kids. You know, if, even if you've had a divorce in your family, that's still traumatic. Even though your parents got along great, they co-parented you well, it's still, it's still an event that needs to be processed properly, however that looks, right? There's different kinds of therapy that work for different kinds of people. Not one thing works for everybody. And so I, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that all this childhood trauma, all this living in fear as a kid would eventually contribute to my alcoholism because I just was not comfortable in my own skin. I would just, I would have these mini, mini panic attacks and, and be nervous all the time, you know? And, um, and not, not all my childhood memories were bad. Like we were talking about earlier, I went to Catholic school. My, my grandparents helped uh, my mom pay to, uh, to, to make sure that I could stay in the same school because we moved around a lot. You know, I, I was, I did a, a little timeline with my mom, by the way, because my mom and I have a great relationship today. We've been able to kind of work through a lot of this stuff. And you'll hear me say a lot, you know, she did the best she could with what she had at the time. You know, me too. That's that phrase I say a lot and I think it a lot because even, even the guy out there that is not treating you the way you think you should be treated or that, you know, that homeless guy that you run on 
constantly over and over and over on the rig that you just want to, you know, not be nice to, that person's doing the best they can with what they have. They really are. They just, they just don't know what they don't know. And, and, and when I can lean on that phrase and really think about that when it comes to people, it really puts me in a place of empathy and compassion and it helps me to be a better person because that's what it really comes down to. So, um, but I, going through all that, that trauma as a kid, like I said, I, I built up this fixed way of being my, my winning formula was to be a tough guy and an athlete. And, and, and that obviously, because as much as I did not like my dad, there were parts of me that still wanted to be like him. You know, I was a, I was an explorer for the sheriff's department in San Bernardino County. I, you know, I watched the, the Vietnam movies. I watched Hamburger Hill and I watched Platoon and I watched, I watched Full Metal Jacket and, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to go in the Marine Corps. I want, this is what I'm going to do. I want to be like him, even though he wasn't around, you know, there, that's just every, every boy has that in them. Just, you want to, you want to make your pop proud. I watched, um, I watched a documentary on the Night Stalker that's on Netflix right now. That, and I, obviously I don't, there was a time because of my post-traumatic stress where I couldn't watch TV. I just, I don't want to watch the movies. I don't want to see this shit. Like I, I just don't, I don't want it. And I've slowly been able to work myself um, into a space where I can kind of get back to looking at those things. I'd rather read books and listen to books and then, then watch movies and stuff now. But I was home with coronavirus and I had some time on, time on my hands. So I, because I lived through that as a kid, I was 10 years old when that guy was going around killing people and in Southern California. And it was scary. It was a scary time. And, and so I, I watched it and it was so well done. It was done through the eyes of the detectives. And those Gil, he said some profound things during that, during that documentary. And if you can get past some of the photos of people that, and the things that happened, it was really, you know, I, I really put my attention and emphasis on him and some of the things he said and the, the, the girl who he raped when she was six, like you talk, talk about post-traumatic growth. I mean, from how they carried themselves during the interviews and the things they talked about, like, I was so moved by it. It's, it's so weird. It's like a night stalker, you know, uh, documentary. One of the things that Gil says towards the end was that he just wanted to make his dad proud, you know, and he, he tears up during that part. Right. And the other thing that he says at the very end is that he prays for Richard Ramirez and that, bro, that's like, that's next level, right? Because he understands that this guy was, this guy's childhood trauma was gnarly, gnarly. They, they touch on it a little bit. So in all the work I do and the stuff that I've, that I've been through myself to, to see it on the television like that and to pick up on it 
it just reinforces, you know, everything that we've, that we're learning about post-traumatic stress and where it comes from and how childhood trauma plus moral injury equals complex PTS. And that's, that's the medical community saying that. And that's for the patient population of first responders and veterans that are committing suicide. That's the problem. So we have to find ways to, to process that childhood stuff because it's just bubbling its way to the top. A lot of us don't know it. And, and a lot of us end up in these careers because of it. The plot thickens, you know? <laughs> it does. I, I mean, listening to uh, the other night on uh, Behind the Shield with, uh, with our friend James, I mean, you talking about your childhood there, I mean, made me think about mine and mm -hmm. some issues there too. So, uh, and that's stuff I think that I absolutely suppressed. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But, um, you know, how did you end up going? You know, you, you were looking at, uh, you know, following in your dad's footsteps, maybe military, mm -hmm. maybe police officer. But at some point, you took a left turn. <laughs> yeah, hard left. <laughs> and you, you ended up being a firefighter. I mean, how right. did that whole thing go down? Um, so I kind of, yeah, the thought of, as I got older and the thought of bad guys, dark alleys and bullets, and that kind of scared me a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's my, that's my calling, you know, it's, it's to be of service for sure, but I don't know if that's it. So I met a girl who um, ended up being my wife for 15 years, uh, who I I've, have three beautiful sons with whose mom was a purchasing agent for the Forest Service. And she was always talking about um, her job. And she was talking about campaign fires, base camp, fire camp. She was bringing me these t-shirts home from these campaign fires. And, and, uh, and I never, I just never thought about the fire service. I, it, it was never on my radar. But when, when we went up to King City, California, to meet um, some of the firefighters that she had worked with on a fire at, up, up north in Northern California. There, it's a volunteer department. When I met some of those guys and I went to the firehouse and they let me hose down the back patio because we had a barbecue there. And I, and I got to talk to those guys. I mean, you're talking about guys who do the job for free, right? Salt of the earth, just salty crusty just men you know and and I, I was i i was absolutely overtaken and i remember sitting on the sitting on the i i went on the app floor and i crawled up on the engine and i sat on the engine for like an hour and i had this moment i it's so vivid where i went i don't care what i have to do uh, this is what i want to do this is it right here i i I want to be a firefighter and, uh, and you know, I, my wife and I at the time were, you know, we're struggling young couple. We had a tiny little mortgage from a little condo that we bought. And I, I just, a, a semester at a time, I took one or two classes down at the local community college. And I remember when I was in that, the first uh, fire tech class I took. And I remember the chief 
popping in a video, a VHS tape uh, of the men and women doing the job. And, and like I, like I say all the time, I was like, this is it. Like, yeah. Like, how come I didn't think of this a long time ago? And, and I was still young. I was 20 at the time. And, um, and I, you know, I worked my ass off. I did. I, I, I worked so hard and my wife at the time worked so hard to support me, um, to do the job, to get the job. And she worked two jobs while I was in the basic fire Academy. I took out a second on, on our condo. I maxed my credit cards out to go squirt water and goof around, run up and down in the tower, you know, with no guarantee that I was going to get hired in Southern California. You have to get your firefighter one cert by putting yourself through a, through a basic fire Academy. Um, after you take the classes and, and, you know, she helped me do that. And, and I, I got out of the fire Academy and I worked on an ambulance for about eight months in a local ambulance company. Cause I wanted to be a medic down here. Usually you do two things. One of two things you go work for, for on a wildland rig on a brush rig somewhere, or you, or you work on an ambulance and um, I decided to go the ambulance route and that was, it was an interesting time. Cause when I, when I first got the job on the ambulance, I thought, okay, like I'll be running these 911 calls and you know, and where's all the stuff from the book. And, and, and they're like, no, you're going to go pick up grandma from, uh, from the con home. And you're going to, you're going to take her over to her, MRI appointment and she's going to be screaming the whole time because she has dementia and you're going to, yeah, it just, it wasn't what I expected at all. <laughs> it wasn't a bad thing. It was just, it, it was, some of it was like really sad. Like I would, I'd get caught in this, what we call the St. Joe's loop. There's St. Joseph's hospital, chalk hospital, which is the children's hospital of Orange County. And there was a pavilion. And if you got caught in that loop on the ambulance, you were, you were dropping off one patient and picking up another in the same room. And you just, you're running a lot of calls. And never, ever, ever getting off on time. Ever. 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 That's, na that's nationwide. Private ambulances. Okay. Yeah. No, you're not going to, you're not going to get off on time. And then, and I'll, this is probably not a good thing to say, but I'm going to say it. So before they can track what rig you were on by keying up the mic, it was that long ago. It was 22 years ago or something. If they did that, if it was time for you to get off and they gave you another call, people would key the mic and slam it on the thing for like a minute. <laughs> like the dispatchers gave a crap. Like, dude, just go, just go pick up the next patient. But they couldn't, they couldn't track you. So yeah, you never got off on time. Oh man, those were the days. Well, you had to pay your dues. I learned a lot, but I'll tell you, I, those, when I got caught in that loop and I had to go pick up the oncology kits and take them to their MRI appointments to take photos of their, of their, their tumors man i looking back now 
I was in a weird mood when I got home. And now I understand why. But back then, I didn't. I didn't get it. That shit was never explained to us. You know, you just... Those are what we call the little T's. You know? And that's why it's so important to to teach our new folks coming into the careers about all this stuff. And I like to say that, that if you don't like the, if you don't like mental health, if you don't like the, uh, the word mental health, then just change it, change it to brain health. Cause that's what it is. It's just, it's, it's our coconut. It's, it's our brain. It's there's science behind all this stuff, right? There's, and like we were talking about earlier, it's important. It's really important to have good people in your life that can help direct you because how do you know you're drifting if the organ you use for cognition is injured? You need people to say, hey, dude, like Maddie, you're, you're not acting like yourself. What's going on with you? And to be able to feel safe enough to say, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. This is, and for ha to have that other person and to be that other person to say, dude, it's normal. That's normal. Like, let me teach you this meditation technique or let's talk about it. Or let me, let me refer you to a counselor who knows what the, they're doing. You know, we call that culturally competent. Super, super important, super important because I went to a couple counselors that weren't culturally competent and they said some stupid shit to me when I was really fragile and something bad things could happen, you know, thank God they didn't. But at, at my worst, you know, I had a, I had a clinician tell me that I needed some Xanax and a good lawyer. <laughs> you know, what the heck? Are you kidding me? I mean, I probably did, <laughs> but come on. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. When did uh, the city of Anaheim give you that mm -hmm. call? The call to come work for them? Yeah. The call. The call. So in, um, I'd imagine that it was around 2000, the year 2000. Because I started on March 12th, 2001. So coming up here on the 12th, I'll have 20 years on the job. 20 long years. Actually, some of the years flew by and some of them felt like forever. And, and I'm, on, I'm on the final stretch here. I got, I'm 45 years old. I have five years left. And I'm off to do some other really cool things that I'm doing now that I'm going to be able to dedicate more time to. I love the job. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be hard to leave. It really will be. I never thought the fire service was a stepping stone to other things. I thought it was the end all be all, but turns out it's, you know, if I didn't have the childhood trauma, I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't be and get get on the other side of it. I wouldn't be able to help people in the way I'm helping them now. Right. If I didn't, if I wasn't an alcoholic in recovery, I couldn't help people who dissociate with drugs and alcohol. If I wasn't a paramedic, 
I wouldn't be able to go do interventions on guys and convince them to go to the hospital because it's the same thing kind of, right? How, I mean, essentially as, as medics, we're for, for a, a, you know, how many calls do we go on where people don't want to go and we have to convince them to go, right? So, so I've learned all this stuff and, and it's my, you know, it's just, it's, it's built me up to be able to do what I'm doing now. So, but to answer your question, March 12, 2001, I started and I was, you know, I was so excited, you know, you remember. I mean, I, yeah, I was just a little ahead of you January 29th, 2001. Okay. So, but yeah. So you're, you're, you know, come on cub. <laughs> I know. Right. Get some time here, on the job. <laughs> right. But I, I remember, so March, right. March 12, 2001. And then March, March, April, May, June, July. Right. August. He's, he's using his fingers, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I'm having a complete brain fart, but that's six months, right? Yeah. Six months on the job and 9-11 happens. I was shitting my pants. When, when I walked into, I was on probation. I was at station eight where a lot of our codgers worked, guys that were ready to retire. And I walked through the door and one of the old guys said, Hey Matt, sit down in that chair and, and look at this. And I went, what's going on? And we watched the second plane crash into the towers and shit got real, real quick, real quick. And I, that was the first time I thought to myself after those towers came down, man, this job can really fucking kill me. I just felt invincible until that moment. And I remember I, the battalion chief at the time, I walked into the, a couple hours after everything happened, I walked into the, to the uh, locker room and he was sitting on the bench with his face in his hands. And he looked up at me and he said, hey, Matt. I said, yeah, chief. He said, what would, he, what would we have done different? He's asking me, this guy's been on the job 30 years. He's asking me a six month guy, what will we have done different? You know? And all I could say was nothing. That's what we do, you know? And uh, man, it, it makes me a little emotional because, because I remember the first year not being able to drink on nine 11. It sucked. <laughs> it sucked bad to have to sit in those feelings. And really, because I was doing so much work on myself, look inward and remember that I was scared, man. I was scared. And I, I didn't, I wasn't going to go tell that the 30 year guy, that's scary. That's the last thing as a new guy, you know, but now if a new guy came to me and said, man, you know, we had a call, I had a near miss and it scared the shit out of me, bro, I'd, I'd embrace that.
I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge that guy at all because we're not superheroes. Being in the same time frame, really. I mean, we're talking 20 years now, mm-hmm. essentially. And I, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in California or Ohio, wherever you're at, it, it was the same. Mm-hmm. You couldn't say that stuff back then. I do think you can now, but it, so. it has taken 20 years to get to that point. Yeah. What excites me about that is how's it going to be in 20 years from now? Yeah, me too. I like that. That's why I love teaching the, the new folks. I love, I love teaching at the basic fire academy. I teach at the basic fire academy in, in Southern California, Santa Ana college. And, and I, I, I mean, I have some great conversations with those folks because they're, that's how we change the culture. You know, I've got a whole thing set up to where, when we do have a new class that I'm going to have time to do cancer stuff. Mm-hmm to do behavioral health stuff and also do some, have some discussion about financing, financial stuff. Super important. And all three of those combined is just, I feel like you're setting those, those kids up for success because all those things are so Mm long-term and it's hard to think about any of those when you're just starting and you may not even have a family. Mm -hmm. Like you haven't even hit the streets yet. You, you, right. can't, you can't, you know, retirement is so far away at that point. Yeah. But just from the absolute start, setting them up. Yeah. It's not, that never happened to you or no. me with any of that stuff. Right. I had an old, I had a, I had one of the old guy pull me aside and go, you need to start putting money in your deferred comp right now. Just do it. Even if it's five bucks. That was my financial talk. You know, and then and you're looking around at the guys and and they're fighting over overtime and they're talking about the next remodel and they're all buying the new truck and and that's not always the that's not always the best way to be. You know, it's it's material solutions to spiritual problems, I say. You know, you you can't for a lot of guys, you know, you, you it's you're trading time for money essentially. And we already spend, we already spend so much time away from our families. It's important that we take those days off and we show up for the things we can show up for. You know, looking back, I, I, I have three sons and, and it's, it's hard. Part of it, you know, it's, it's hard to hear And this. I just, my, my 16 year old the other day, we were talking and he's, he mentioned, dad, you're always gone, you know? And, and I tried to, and I'm, I'm divorced, remarried. I have the kids every other week. Um, you know, there's the last average I, I saw 70% of us get divorced, 70%. And, and that's why the family component is also very important. Like for, in our academy, we have a family day for the guys that are married or have girlfriends and we talk to them too. We, we explain to them the signs and symptoms. We give them the resources because some guys end up, end up where they end up on the wife card, you know, the wife notices, which is important. And there's some shit that we shouldn't bring home to our wives. I strongly believe that. I don't, I don't think that we should be coming home 
telling our wives as much as they want to know and are dying to hear about it. I don't think that we need to tell them everything. I think, I think that it causes what, what we know now as secondary trauma. And sometimes we, our behavior, you know, they're walking on eggshells because we come home and they're like, ah, which, which mat am I going to get? Am I going to get the two after midnight mat or the four after midnight mat? <laughs> you know? And I really, I, I'm aware of that now. I'm so it's, so we do a lot for the families too. I think I could walk in the door and she can just tell by looking. At oh, me. hell yeah, bro. Just, sure. just looking at me without me saying a word. She knows how it went yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, some, some guys, wives are nurses or they work in the business and, and they can't have those conversations, but I, I don't know. A lot of it is just, and our, our poor kids, man, I, like we've, we've been on the call where the television falls on the kid. We've been on the call where, you know, on Valentine's day, one year I pulled five kids out of a car that wrapped around a telephone pole. And, and you don't think I'm, my heart isn't pounding when I'm teaching my kids how to drive. And when, when my 16 year olds tell me a story, yeah, dad, I got the car up to a hundred and I'm like, well, are you kidding me, bro? I'm, why are you telling me this? You know, it's because they don't, you know, we're, we're a different breed when it comes to this stuff. And, and so I'm, it's good to have the awareness now that we are, because I can have those conversations with my sons now and they can see it from my, from my view also. Hey, Nate, I know I'm hard on you, son, when it comes to your driving and stuff. But it's because dad has, I've pulled kids out of cars, man. And I don't want that to happen to you, you know? So be gentle with me, you know? And, and they're cool. They get it. They do. Our kids are, and they're, our kids are special. They really are to have to grow up with us, <laughs> you know? And I, even looking back at, you know, my, like I said, my dad passed away at 53 but man I got nothing but love for that man now you know one of the things I had to do after I after I left the trauma retreat save a warrior that I went to after my suicide attempt was go to the Riverside National Cemetery where he's buried and grieve and mourn that man properly because I didn't at his funeral because I was still mad at him you know and I didn't even realize like you said you suppressed all that stuff I suppressed the anger for him. I suppressed all that childhood stuff. I, I tried to stuff it down and go on with my life and it made its way to the top, you know, and I didn't care to hear stories about that guy. I didn't want to hear, I don't want to hear his name. I didn't want, I didn't want any of his, I didn't want pictures of him. You know, now his flag is in my living room, you know, and I want to hear stories about him and I want to talk to guys that knew him. Knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. being through everything you've been, I know we're skipping ahead. <laughs> I mean, the, the, he's Marine. Mm-hmm. He's in Vietnam. He's, he's a police officer. I mean, we may have just had a, a glimpse, just a, I mean, compared to what he actually saw. And he never... I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but never was able to get any help at all. Talk to anybody, do anything that we're able to do right now. Right. 
Yeah, I wouldn't imagine. Not even close. Do you think knowing, kind of knowing that is what has allowed you to move on and 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 get to the point where you are now? 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was doing the best he could with what he had. And, and, and I get it now. Like, I get it. I get it. And, you know, I, I, I really strongly believe, and this might be a little woo-woo, but I can get a little woo-woo sometimes, that when we heal ourselves, that we get to heal seven generations behind us and seven generations in front of us. So I feel like I'm healing my ancestors, and he's one of them. So me doing the work that I'm doing to stop the generational trauma and stop passing it down to my kids, even though I have a little bit, don't get me wrong, but my kids have been to counseling and my kids go to therapy and we're working through it as a family and we're healing so that they'll just be a little bit better for their kids and they'll be a little bit better for their kids. Right. And then that goes backwards too. I I just, I really believe that. So I like, I feel like, for whatever reason, I have this intuition that he's wherever he's at, proud of me. Because I'm not only helping firefighters, but I'm helping law enforcement also, and veterans. And I just, you know, he's an ancestor, and he's wherever he is looking down on me, proud of what I'm doing. And that he gets to heal because of it. I just, I just, like, that's my little belief. And, and so, yeah, like I, I, in working, um, with veterans who are suicidal, it just, it helps, it really helps me get closer to him too, because I wasn't, I wasn't in theater, you know, I wasn't in country. I wasn't downrange. I don't know what that's like, you know, but hearing some of these guys is experienced is can kind of give me a glimpse of what my dad went through, you know? So yeah, 100%. And I just thinking God, nothing but love for that man now. 100% totally. I, you know, on Memorial day, I make my way down to the, to the cemetery. I go with my uncle who's also a Vietnam vet. He tells me stories, you know, I'm happy to hear about that stuff now. You know, my, my um, stepmom is in Georgia she's uh she lives down there and uh, every once in a while we get together we talk on the phone like i want to hear about it now i want i want to hear um i want to i want to hear the stories because that's healing you know but yeah i as a matter of fact one of my best friends brian haggerty from sable warrior he's a army veteran lapd officer he's retired he i showed him a i have a newspaper article about my dad and he's he's like you need to get that thing um framed and hang it on your wall and i was like you know what you're right i do he's like so your boys can see that that's something to be proud of you know and that's the kind of advice i get from the men of my life today you know not that you know what that guy you know he he didn't do this he didn't do that he didn't you know I get guys like Brian who say, dude, that's, that's awesome. You know, put that flag up in your house, make sure that sits out on the, on the, put that thing in a, you know, tell your kids about, about their grandfather, you know? So super cool. But yeah, 
he's I think he's looking down on me wherever he's at now. Pretty pretty proud of me. I would hope. No, for sure. Uh, there's no good segue after that. I mean, that was amazing. But you know, you're on the job for a while. Let's go back to that. We'll okay. do kind of Tarantino style a little bit. You mentioned right. that earlier. You know, you're, you're having fun. Um, you know, it's 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 good at first, but at some point in time, things kind of start going to shit. Yeah. I'll tag you in. It's all you. Okay. So, you know, I I put myself on purpose uh, on the on the west end of town in Anaheim, the the side of town that Disney does not put in the brochures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mickey stays away from from West Anaheim, and nothing against that part of town. It's just it's just our it's our poor side of town. It's there's a lot of apartments. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of people struggling and I put myself there on purpose. I wanted to, I wanted to learn everything I could about the job and that's the way you did it. Right. You ran the calls, you had the busy houses. Uh, you wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to see that stuff. I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to be a medic. And so, uh, I did that a lot of, and at, and at the same time, you know, my, my wife was like, okay, you're off probation now. Here, look, I have a one in uh, one ish year old. And she's like, now it's my turn. I want to be a nurse. I, I was on, you know, she took all the prereqs for nursing school. She got called up to go to nursing school. It's my turn. So I would work these long nights and then I'd come home in the morning where she would hand me Logan it's good. That's a good name. That's my my four year old yeah. name. Yeah, he's actually he's really named after the Wolverine too. I'm gonna go upstairs and tell my wife later on because I when we're talking we were good with Logan. We obviously know what the last name is, uh-huh. and she says, "Well, what's the middle name?" I said, "Weapon X." Nice. And she was like, "What?" I said, "Logan <laughs> Weapon X," <laughs> and. It's Joseph, but no, I still, I, <laughs> I, yeah. call, I did not win that one. I, I'll call him Logan Weapon X. And he's like, no, Logan Bernica. That's rad. I think so should- he's got, he's got Wolverine shirts and all that stuff. He has no idea who he is, but. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, that's, you know, so I, throughout all my moves and throughout my whole crazy life and all the places I've lived, the one thing I've been able to hold on to were my comic books. And I have, I walked into a comic book store in Laverne, California and bought the first Wolverine number one. And I still have it all the way up to, I think I collected all the way up to 60 or 70 and I still have my comic books. Nice. So for some now, reason, I, you can't, you can't probably see this very well, this poster. No, I'll, I'll send you a copy of it, but okay, you've got a big, 600 foot mural about the Dayton firefighter or Dayton local 136 history, the history of Dayton fire department. Okay. And it's, uh, we, we wanted to do the history and I said, that's great. Let's do that. But let's do it in a comic book style, Marvel golden age, you know, Steve Ditko kind of, I love it. Yeah. And, and it's all that. So I'll send that to you. Yeah. I would love uh, that. I would love it. 
I'm, 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 I'm a nerd. I love comic books. I, I still collect a bunch. And I, I collect three of everything. So I, so my kids, so my sons can each have one when I, when I go and I love star Wars. Like I'm, I'm, I grew up on that stuff. That's and I'm that's way 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 ahead. But I, we'll talk about that. I want I want you to tell me about Star Wars Land because I know you've been there a bunch, and I obviously oh, haven't. I'm you, gonna tell you. you I'm gonna tell you. Did, you probably made the droids and the lightsabers and all that kind uh, of. There's a couple of things that I never thought I would ever hear or say in my career. This is one of them. Mickey, get the out of my way that's one of them because <laughs> i drive back i drive code three backstage <laughs> that's one of the things the other thing is before it opened the fire chief i saw him we were cruising around back there before it opened they were practicing for the opening day when they were doing some extra stuff they had some actors there where they were doing some and the fire chief from disney said hey maddie come check out the and i'm gonna i'm gonna help you and show you how to get into the Millennium Falcon. And I was standing in front of this thing going, dude, I got one of these as a kid for Christmas, and now I'm standing in front of it, dude. It was awesome. But yeah, we can talk, we can talk more about that. Because see the excitement? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm a secret Disney. I'm kind of a secret Disney nerd. I, I, and it didn't start that way. But I, I, I work on a medic rig that responds into Disneyland now. And, and um, obviously it's closed right now. We're waiting for it to reopen. So I'm having to do some real life work, but I really enjoy working there and, and going to go, getting to go backstage and do all that stuff. So, but, um, we're, you're, so, you're yeah. talking, you're talking about your wife going to nursing school. Oh, okay. So yeah. So she hands me the, she hands me the baby. She goes off to nursing school and, and I, you know, I'm a new dad and a new firefighter all in the same year. And we, you know, it was looking back now in, in those moments of, of having to take care of him alone with waiting for my wife to come home, you know, blowing bubbles or whatever we were doing, playing with cars or, you know, and not being able to stay present, always being somewhere else in my head, to which we know now is just it's hypervigilance. And I work really hard on trying to stay in the present moment. You know, there's science behind what happens to our brains and why we are everywhere but here, right here, right now. You know, and that, and that made it difficult for me to be the best dad I could be because I just, I wasn't, a lot of the time wasn't present and I was tired. <laughs> I just couldn't wait for him to take a nap so I could take a nap with him, you know? So she goes off to nursing school and, and, and eventually becomes a nurse and you know things are things are are going pretty well and and I go to medic school and and it's about 10 years on the job where where the drinking becomes a little bit a little bit too much the partying with the guys becomes a little bit too much you know the guys we have a bad call the guys meet out a bar that opens at 6 a.m in Anaheim they leave at noon I'm there till closing time and you know and then the affairs start you know i'm just i have a massive ego the wife's not being too cool at home 
this chick's paying attention to me, yada, yada, yada. Um, I just had some really bad, really, really, like really bad coping skills. And I didn't know that, that I was not to make excuses for myself. I mean, I made bad decisions. I made a lot of them. And so during that time, my marriage started to suffer and, and we had two more kids and it was off and on with us. And, and she had her own traumas going on by being an ER nurse. And, and so, and we were young, man. we were super young. We were 19 when we met, you know, and we tried really hard to keep the wheels on the tracks. And so eventually we ended up splitting up and around that time, around, I don't know, about 15 years on the job, we had a gnarly, we went through a gnarly divorce. My back started hurting me, you know, and, and, and like I said, I, I don't know if I've said this yet, but, you know, also the city of Anaheim who I work for, they did the best they could with what they had at the time. You know, they had an EAP, they, they felt was sufficient. They, when my back started hurting me, I got sent to the city doc who essentially would just give me a cortisone shot and send me back to work, you know? which is okay. I was like, okay, like the pain's gone. I'm not, it's not my back's not spasming anymore. Like I just, I'm gonna go back to work. But what that was, was a big old bandaid. And it just, it just masked the pain. It didn't fix the problem. So eventually I uh, couldn't get out of bed. I was at the station. We had a long night and those, those, the time off work for my back and those cortisone shots were more frequent and more frequent and more frequent until I couldn't get out of bed at work. And, and, you know, laying in the dorm for what seemed like the longest hour of my life, deciding, am I giving up by not being able to crawl out of this bed right now and, and get back to work, you know, and, and things like, man, this is the only thing I know how to do. What am I going to do if I can't do this? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to pay my child support? How am I going to support my kids? How, like, I don't, this is, I worked so hard to, to get this career and I've been doing it for so long. I'm not ready to be done with this, but I'm physically now, mentally, and I was shot. You know, I isolated myself from a lot of people. And, and I talk about this when I go speak, it's very difficult to isolate in the firehouse, really difficult. I figured out how to do it. I brought my Xbox to work and I would Three, just- 360? That 360 back then, yep. And I would just, and I would, I would put my headset on and I would play with my kids. I was literally, you know, and the guys would be like, Maddie, like, no, I'm just, I'm good. You know, and the guys were like, something's up, but I don't know what they thought. You know, it's, it was the good old boys club back then. And, and I think guys, I know that guys are like, man, if, if we, if we go rat this guy out, then he might lose his job. And I don't want to have anything to do with that, you know? And I get that. I get that mentality. We, nowadays, we, there's too many things 
in place to help guys. You know what I mean? But I think back then, guys just didn't want other guys to get in trouble. So we cover up for each other. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I would, I isolated up until that point. I I burned a lot of bridges. You know, there were a lot of people that didn't give up on me. Pat Russell, the fire chief now, he he was uh, a division chief at the time. He's one of those guys. That's why I can talk about this stuff and, and talk about the department that I work at right now, because he really supports everything that I do now. Were you, were you at that point where you were you drinking at work at all? Was that ever anything you did? I never drink at work, but I did show up, you know, they would have tested you in the morning. Yeah. I, I, I didn't show up in good shape. If I, and there were times where I, I didn't show up. They had to come looking for me because I slept through my alarm or whatever. You and then know? you've got, you've got all these back issues. I got all these back issues. I'm going through popping, a divorce. Popping pain pills. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Anything I can get my hands on. And and all that stuff just stopped working. It all stopped working. And and eventually I um after I had back surgery and I was able to make it back to work for a second and then back off because it was too soon. And I had a bad night. Um, I was, had a bar. I lost everything during that time. Like, you know, when you're trying to keep up and, and a lot of guys don't, I mean, unless you experience it's like I said, our, our divorce rate is 70%, right? So when you go sit in front of a judge and you've been working three, four overtimes a pay period, some mandatory, some not, and you're sitting in front of a judge trying to figure out how much you're going to pay your ex-wife that ju- when you t- when you bring the judge the mou that shows what your base salary is he doesn't give a f- <laughs> he doesn't care he wants to see your last three years tax returns and when it shows that you're making a lot more than that base salary but you try to explain to him that but sir some of that is mandatory I'm, that's force hire stuff i don't you know they don't give a crap and that added to my stress because after everything was said and done, if I didn't work any overtimes on a pay, on a pay period, my checks were 200 bucks, you know, and that's just the reality of it. And I, and I would blame my ex-wife and wish her dead. And I was blaming everybody, man, playing the victim, you know, but I didn't, my kids didn't, they didn't choose to come into this world. I, they didn't. They didn't choose for me to make bad decisions and get divorced. They didn't ask for any of that, you know. And at the time, you know, I, you know, they, I had to pay child support. I didn't look at it like that, and I do now, you know. And I don't mind. I don't mind it, you know. It's, it just it is what it is. And I, I, I'm the father, and I, there's a certain amount of money that I have to pay my ex-wife, who I have a great relationship with today. We co-parent the kids really, really well. It wasn't always that way. Um, and I and I don't I just pray for abundance and God gives me that. So I don't even I, I used to look at that every time I got paid, I would look at that that amount that I pay her and just be like, I can't and now I don't even I don't even sweat it. It's not even a thing. And if she needs extra help, I'll give it to her. You know, she does pretty good. But um, if the boys need something, the boys get it. 
I'm, I'm their dad. That's my responsibility, you know, because I was taught how to be a man, you know, and I wasn't taught how to be a man as a kid. I was, I was a little boy running around in a man body, making little boy decisions. And it got me in a lot of trouble, you know, and it made me want to kill myself every day. I didn't know that at the time, but, but that, you know, I, I, I built up an ego and I covered it up with this uniform and this badge, you know, all this hero shit. And I was dying on the inside. I didn't know how to really be. Do you feel like you're an actor or at least were an actor? A yeah. facade. Oh, we, everything we so- is great. Everything is awesome. Yeah. And we it's are all best. inside. It's, it's all bullshit. Yeah. We're, we are really good culture. Uh, first responders at pretending we're not pretending. <laughs> Chew on that one for a minute. You know, I remember sitting in front of my locker when the wheels were falling off. I showed up, I showed up late to work again. And one of my best buddies on the job, he was my cap, my captain at the time. It wasn't my captain, he was captain of the station. And I'm, I'm looking at my locker. He's sitting next to me. And he's like, dude, what's wrong? He's like, just put your uniform on. We're going to go in, go into this meeting and talk about, talk about how to, how to get you help, dude. Just put your uniform on and take it for one more day, you know? And I'm like, dude, I've been faking it for five years. Like I can't, I can't, like, I just didn't want, I just didn't want to do it. He's like, just, he's like, Maddie, just put your uniform on and fake it for one more day. You know, and I did, and I I got put off work for a month, and I saw a counselor for a while, and and I faked it all the way through that, to just to make it back to work, just how the wheels fall off again, because I was so afraid of losing my job if I really told people what was going on. You know, and that's that was a, that's a little bit before that's before the back injury. That's just when everything was just a mess. You know, um, and then it got really, it got really bad. I, like I said, I lost everything. I had the surgery. I went back to court. I lost custody of my kids, and rightfully so. And I had to rent a car to go to court. And I ended up in that car instead of spending time with my kids that day, um, driving 106 miles per hour down the five freeway, drunk with my sober girlfriend in the car. And I was pulled over by CHP. And even back then, I was like, man, these guys aren't going to give me a ticket. I'm a fireman, right? Don't you know who I think I am? Like, we're, it's the brotherhood. Da, 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 da. And you got, you got st- Well, you didn't have a sticker on the car. It was a rental car. No, it was a rental car. I didn't have a sticker. But I, I, sticker or not, I deserve to get pulled over. You know, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm hauling ass. And they pull me out of the car, and and they hooked me up for a deuce, you know? And, and, and I... Man, I was so mad at those guys. I was like, "Oh, why would you do this to me?" You know, and and now I, I man, I love those men because they saved my life. They really, really did. And doing as much work as I do now with all kinds of first responders, knowing that what the potential was for me that night, and for for a scene that they could have possibly have walked up on 
I get it now, man. I get why they were so mad at me. Because those CHP guys, those Highway Patrol and, all, you know, state troopers and all that stuff that have to go on those horrendous auto accidents, man, like, I get it. That could have been me. And I could have added to those guys' trauma because I made a, I made a really bad decision that night, you know. And um, they were nice enough to let me go in the field because my girlfriend was sober and she was trying to get me home. And I lost it, man. I'm like, I'm going to lose the only thing I have left. And that's the job. And so I put myself down in, um, in a parking lot down in, in Southern California where, you know, I trashed the car. I made a big old scene and all because I wanted the, the sheriffs to show up and put myself behind it behind a dumpster and I was going to do everything I, you know, I know to do and say, to get these guys to, to, sh to shoot me, man. I was going to reach and, and, um, and my girlfriend got to them before I did. And, and I got two of the coolest Orange County sheriffs on the, on the job. You know, they, they shut their body cams off, which is not protocol. <laughs> and after they found out that I was firefighter and they spent some time with me behind that dumpster talking to me you know and I and I remember bits and pieces of it um a lot of it was me too bro I get it I know I understand I have an ex-wife too I've I've been to court about my kids I know what it's like to pay child support I you know I it was super cool. It was, it was my, well, I like to say it's my first aware experience of what peer to peer looks like. Cause I wasn't sitting across the, across the desk or across the couch from a, from a, some clinician who read it in a freaking book, bro. You know, these guys were the real deal. They, I trusted that the conversation we were having was true. And that they had experienced these things the way I had. They were so compassionate. They were so, these guys were so cool. And as a matter of fact, just recently, so in the 12-step program I'm in, one of the steps is to make amends to people. So I'm still working my way through that stuff because I have a lot of amends to make because I have a lot of years of acting like an idiot. So one of, you know, my amends, one of my amends was to those men because I, I work with suicidal veterans and first responders now. And I know a lot of law enforcement guys that are a little sideways because they've had to kill people and it was death by cop. And I know what that does to guys now. And that could have been me. I could have added to those guys trauma by making that choice. And I'm glad that didn't happen. So I owe those guys an apology. But I also wanted to talk to them. And through um, working with some other sheriffs, I was able to get in touch with one of those officers, one of those, one of those sheriffs. And we had the greatest conversation. It was so cool. And I'm hoping someday to get him in the room when I'm teaching so that I can point him out when that part comes up. Because it's, it, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget what those guys did for me, you know, and what could have happened. Um, they were super cool. So, and I got, 
you know, my dad was an Orange County Sheriff. So it kind of, it kind of all fits in the story there. So um, after that, uh, and like, you know, that was, I wish I could say that was my only suicide attempt. You know, I hung nooses in the closet and I put, I put my neck in them and I put pressure on it and I wanted to pass out. You know, I, I took a handful of Darvacet, a Percocet, you know, cause I didn't want to wake up. I, I drank to oblivion. There are so many times I, I tried, you know, and, and after that one, I was uh, a buddy of mine from work. His name's Manny. He showed up at my house. My girlfriend at the time made a few phone calls to our union president, who was one of those guys. His name's Rick Cheatham, who never gave up on me. Who um, made a made an appointment for me finally to see a culturally competent clinician. Her name's Shauna Hill, and she's one of my favorite people on this planet. She was my clinician for a minute, and now we're colleagues and we work together. And she, after two, after two sessions with her, said, "Hey, there's this five and a half day program up in." in Malibu called Save a Warrior. It's a veterans organization, but they accept first responders. You might wanna check this out. Go to their website, fill out the application, it's free. You could probably use a little time away anyways right now. And so I, I didn't, I'm supposed to fill out the application. I gotta be honest, I didn't. My girlfriend did for me which is a no-no. I, I mean, I was just, I wanted to go. I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I, I, if I really, looking back now, if I knew, I don't know if I would have gone. Did because you not think I, you were ready at that point? Well, I was ready for something. Yeah. I was ready for something. This was the last house on the block. You know, if this didn't work, I was going to kill myself. And, but like I said, I just didn't know what they did. Like looking at the, looking at the website, I'm like, oh, they do some, they're on these ropes or they're, you know, I know they do equine therapy and someone had mentioned that to me and I'm like, oh, you know, pet the ponies. And I didn't feel worthy. That's for sure. <laughs> I know. Pet the ponies. <laughs> yeah, pet the ponies, bro. That, it's, it's. I love it. And I'll tell you where that came from. It came from a. It came from a, uh, a Marine that had lost his eye that was in my cohort at SAW, who basically, before we walked into the, into the round pin where the horses are, uh, he's like, this is such bullshit, man. We're petting ponies. Like, really? Like, this is like, he just, he was like, I don't know about this. This is a bunch of woo-woo shit, right? And his name is Corey. And he walked in, he walked into the round pin and the first thing that horse did was lick his face where his eye was missing. And he freaking lost it. And bro, we all lost it. <laughs> Cause there's, there, I have seen, there's something about equine therapy for, for trauma. And it, I love it. I've seen so many miracles in the round pin with those animals. And it, there's, there's some science behind it, right? Those animals are prey animals and they, they're very, intuitive and they're and 
they can only be one place and that's right here right now in the present moment that's the only place they can be so i've seen like i said i don't want to get too crazy on you, but i they make spirituality tangible you can see it if you're if you're open to it it's i've seen those horses help so many guys really somatically get into their bodies a lot of these guys aren't they don't know what it's like to be in their bodies anymore they're so tense and wound up and you know stress is stress is so messed up it really jacks us up it's it, no go ahead sorry it just causes so many problems in our in our brains in our hearts you know i really think that that cancer you know all that stuff all just all that stuff you know and and so I, I, I ended up at this program and I do, I, I volunteered for a couple of years as a shepherd. Let me, let me back up though. You, you filled out this application, excuse me, your huh? girlfriend <laughs> now wife right. filled out this application. Um, did they, could they tell, I mean, cause they, they called you, right? Yeah. Uh, I got a call within 24 hours from Brian Haggerty. And like I said, he's one of the loves of my life. Um, for the first time, it's an hour long conversation. And for the first time ever through all my bullshit, I heard this man tell me that everything that I was experiencing, everything that I was going through, all my behaviors were absolutely normal. I was having a normal human response to trauma. I'd never heard that before and I, it i remember when i heard it it was like a, it was a complete aha moment and it it was like because before that i thought i was broken i thought i was crazy i thought i was a piece of shit i thought i was just an alcoholic i just i didn't know i just i believed all that stigma bullshit about myself yeah, I was making bad decisions. I was. I own that. And I've and I've and I'm making my way through my amends to tell people that I'm sorry. And I'm and how do I make it right? And I'm a, I'm doing a living amends, which is I'm just I'm I'm trying to be the best version of Matt I could possibly be. And I do a lot of work to do that. I make mistakes. I'm gonna mess up. I'm gonna piss people off. I'm gonna lose my temper once in a while. I'm human but I'm going to go back and say, I'm sorry, you know? So to hear, to hear Brian say that, and then, and then after he accepted me as a candidate for Save a Warrior, I had to wait a month to go. Um, I was super grateful. I was really excited about it. I didn't, I wasn't excited about anything, but I was, I was just, I was excited about this. And I think looking back now, it was for, it was, it was because it was a veterans organization and I was going to go, I was, they were allowing this first responder to be part of their group. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, there's a bunch of guys that were overseas that fought for our country that are allowing me to be part of this organization. And I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't really know what we did there. Like I said, I thought we were petting the ponies and I saw the pictures and I was like, okay, like, whatever. And he's like, listen, read a couple books, make your bed in the morning and don't get back in it 
until it's time to go to bed at night. And for when I, I, I slept on a mattress in a, you know, in a room that I was renting, I didn't have a big, you know what I mean? I spent a lot of, as a depressed alcoholic firefighter, I spent a lot of time in bed. I just, so that was difficult, but I did it. I get up in the morning, I make the bed and I would try to read these books. I got through, I got through one and a half of them. And then that man drove three hours uh, from where he lived to where I live to teach me how to meditate. I was like, okay, dude, what, um, what do you want from me? Right. What, who are you? Why are you driving all the way down here? To teach me how to meditate. And, and from what I know now, because I know that man and he's never treated me any different ever from the minute we had that conversation to now he's always treated me like a, like a human being. He, the guy is just like, like I said, he is, he's one of the most amazing humans on this planet. He's got a massive heart and, and not because, I mean, obviously he's got some love for me because, because of what I do, but he really just, he'll tell you, I just, I give a shit because you're a human being, you know? Because a lot of it is a lot of it too. When I when I sat in the seat, finally when I ended up at Save a Warrior, they're like, part of your problem, Maddie, is you can't be ordinary. And that was like, whoa, you you need to just be ordinary. And that when when you build up this massive ego, it's hard to just be ordinary. Don't you know who I think I am? I have done all these great things, you know, and. And a lot of these guys, bro, they blew, they flew Blackhawks and you got Navy SEALs and Green Berets and Special Forces guys that went over and, and have really done some really cool shit, you know? And um, now you just got to be ordinary. Ooh, show some hum humility, right? It's time to look at your shit and stop blaming everybody else. And by the way, yeah, we're going to pet the ponies. We're going to do that. But the other thing we're going to do is we're going to sit here and you're going to have six minutes with this group of men that you just met to talk about what happened to you when you were a little kid. Have you ever, up until that point, spoken about any of that stuff? No. No way. Because they told me that, you know, that shit that you say you're going to take to your grave? That's what's killing you. And this is a judgment-free zone. We don't care. We, we love you anyways. And what you, what you say here, we're not court mandated, reported. It's all warrior led. There's no clinicians there. No one's, no one, no one's going to report anything back to your department, Matt. Nobody's, nobody's going to report anything to CPS. No one's going to report you to da da da. You're not going to get reported. This is a bunch of men sitting around grieving and mourning communally like we're supposed to as a tribe. Cause that's, that's how we used to do it. And you tell that story once you never have to tell it again. And then at our ceremony for the dead, we're going to write all that shit down on a piece of paper and we're going to burn it off. We're going to put it into a fire and we're going to say goodbye. And, and somatically that's going to make space for us to write a new story. And we're going to stop telling that old story in this, in this massive, set of false beliefs we have and we're going to grieve some of that unmourned grief 
He told me, hey, you know what post-traumatic stress is, Matt? What? It's like, it's all, the, it's all the dead babies on the job. No, it's a bunch of unmourned grief because you can't cry your tears because you can't forgive your dad for doing the best he could with what he had and go crying because he's not on this planet anymore to properly grieve and mourn your grandparents because you were too high and loaded at your grandmother's funeral to properly do that. You, it's time to do it now. And I, my equine day was all about my dad and my grandparents. Man, I bawled my eyes out on those horses. I didn't pet the ponies, man. Those horses were soaking wet with my tears when I was done with my, with my turn. And I didn't, I didn't know what was going to come up. You know, I had no idea. That was a big day for me because I cracked open. I cracked, I was able to, to do that. And I, you know, I cry now. I don't know if, if, you know, they, I heard this and I love saying it because it's just, you know, the, the mature mood of a warrior is sadness. And the only way through sadness is tears. That's how we're, that's how we're put together. You know, when, when, when the warriors back in the day, we're all warriors, right? Came back from war, the elders of the tribe took those guys into the teepees or whatever, and they did ritual. And those guys, they grieved and mourned. And when those elders felt that those men were ready to go back into the tribe, then they let them back in. And then those men became the elders of the tribe. We don't do that anymore. And we don't initiate our sons. You know, this, there's so many layers to this. And, and essentially, save a warrior, it's a suicide, it's a suicide um, prevention program. It is. But it's also initiation because we've lost that in our culture. You know, these, these men came back for me and they, they went through and they came back after they healed and did their own work and they volunteered their time to carry me through the curriculum and tell me their stories of how they got well. And they told me that I needed to get sober. That's part of my story. And that, the, and that men do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, period. Time to stop acting like a little boy, right? And that really what it comes down to is that, that I just, I need to lead with the olive branch and that I need to be a good guy. And, and that's, you know, and it, it, it was, it was a long process for me years. It's taken me years and I don't, I still don't have it down. I'll tell you after meditate, after doing warrior meditation for a week at save a warrior and then coming back home and continuing to do a meditation practice, the ideation went away. I, I did not, I, I was not thinking about killing myself anymore when I came home and I could not escape my thoughts of that. It was just, a, it was a tape. It was a reel in my brain that I could not stop from playing. And, and then, you know, I had to go out after a couple of weeks and drink again, you know, and I remember I went out for one, just one. And I ended up 
after having a, a couple really good weeks of meditation, feeling better, staying in contact with the guys from my cohort. Um, and I, and I went out, I yelled at the wife to my girlfriend still. Uh, I tried to jump out of the car, um, just acted like an idiot and then woke up that morning in my own piss. True story. And I remember looking over at her and telling her, yeah, I think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> She's like, you think, like you think, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I remember the guys talking about what recovery looked like for some of them at Save a Warrior. And I called uh, my first sponsor and asked him to be my sponsor. And I, I walked into the, the rooms of recovery and I've been there ever since. And during that time, I was, I had like three court cases that I caught and between the DUI and the back injury and all the child custody support stuff. Um, I, I went to, I went to two, three, four meetings a day and I meditated every day. And I, and I got to a point where I felt like if I lose my job, um, I'm going to be okay. Whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. I, I mean, I really, and so I, there was a moment where I was in between the trapezes almost, you know, it was that moment. And it was, looking back was some of the really, like some of the coolest times of my life. Some of the, some of the best times of my life. I was fighting for my life, literally. And and I, I just, I felt good. And I hadn't felt good in a long time. I hadn't felt good in a long time. And, and so I'm like, there's something to this. You know, these guys told me if I got sober, if I went out and I was, and I was of service without expecting anything in return, then my life would get better. And it did. It slowly did. And then these people started showing up. All these people, you know, they told me what you seek seeks you. All these people started showing up. I, I, my, my first sponsor brought me to uh, my meditation practice, which is Vipassana meditation. It's the technique the Buddha taught in its purity. And it takes 10 days to learn it and a vow of silence and you eat vegan and you meditate 18 hours a day. And, and I did that. I, I, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but it was so rewarding. And I learned this technique that I do today. Um, I try to get two hours of meditation in twice a day. Uh, I teach meditation. Um, I don't take any medications. I was on all kinds of meds and I don't take any meds anymore. My back pain is not that bad. I don't live in pain. Every, like I'm not in pain right now. I just, I still have to be careful. But um, once I started healing my brain, because meditation heals your brain, then the rest of everything kind of followed and I got healthy and, and, and like I said, all these people started showing up and I got involved in a lot of really cool things. And I got, I married that girlfriend, right. Who now we have like the most amazing relationship ever. Like this woman saw something in me. I didn't see in myself and didn't give up on me. And we, she, gets real she gets along with my ex-wife really well we co-parent the kids really well and and we're all in program and and we're all sober and and 
we just, um, we have a really, really cool thing going and life got really good. And I made it back to work. And after I think about a year of kind of proving to the guys that I was a different cat, you know, um, it took a minute for some Maybe I don't, you know, I think our department has turned over a lot over the last four years, but I, I think for the most part, a lot of guys see the change and know that it's not that I'm not going back. And so I got to, you know, I got asked to be on the peer sport team and, you know, be um, in charge of something, be the liaison between the counseling team and the, the peer sport team, be in charge of our training, do um, be the liaison between us and, and, and PD, because I, I'm really, I'm a, I'm a, a first responder person. I, like I said, I, our, our brains don't know that what uniform we're wearing, you know, they don't know what badge we have on trauma is trauma and and we're all affected by it in the same way and we all heal from it in the same way even though our jobs are a little bit different than what we do so um, I love working with PD I love working with those guys and I have some pretty close friends and, um, and like I said I came from a law enforcement family so my heart's with those guys too and especially now with everything that's going on in the world and you know I think there's there's a mental health issue going on and and I think there's better ways to approach things um, if we come at it from a place of love and understanding and empathy. And, and that's another thing that I learned. It, you know, I learned so much as a warrior, especially going back. So I go, you know, I couldn't understand why anybody would volunteer to do anything. You know, if I was, if I was working or being of service, I was getting paid time and a half, bro. Like, yep, show me the money. So, I mean, I burn a lot of my own sick time to go off and, and for, for two and a half years, I would shepherd at Save Warrior, which means I would go back and help carry the, the men through the curriculum and uh, tell my story and, and, and do my thing up there. And it was so rewarding. And I, every time I went back, I, it was a refresher for me too. You know, I got to, I got to hear the wisdom. I got to, I got to watch guys heal. You know, I got to watch, you know, I don't, I know we talked a little bit about trauma is held in our body at a cellular level and i've seen it come out in guys through all kinds of different ways seizures guys have had seizures guys have poop they not poop they vomit you know i had one guy call me into his room because he looked like he was having an mi all like his skin signs were shit he was like i thought wow and it was just he had just off gassed a bunch of shit that was so buried, you know, and, um, and what the guys learn real quick is that, that we're, we're not going to, we're not kicking you out of the tribe. We're going to love on you more, you know? So that brought me to where I am today. I, I, um, I'm heavily involved and I do outreach, um, for, a treatment center that helps first responders and first responders only. I think we're one of the only places in the United States that's been able to do this um, because we have built a team of culturally competent uh, case managers, clinicians. I mean, our one of our secretaries, 
her husband is a law enforcement officer. So everybody that's involved in this um, treatment center here is first responder wellness in Newport Beach, California, um, has, has something to do with first responder and understands the culture. And we've helped a lot of people over the last, over the last three years. And we went from just a couple clients to, I think we have 50 clients now, 45, 50 clients. And, and it's this, this, it's, it's co-occurring post-traumatic, it's post uh, mental health and drug and alcohol. So we know, we understand that the thing under the thing under the thing is the trauma. And we do things like EMDR and we have neurofeedback here and we do equine therapy here. And it's this program and the folks that are involved in it are, are like some of, uh, of the most amazing people. And it's everything I would have wanted when I was struggling, everything, all the things that we do here. And, and so uh, being on the peer support team, I'm usually on my days off, I'm here doing this. I have a training that I do um, where I speak all over the country before COVID hit, um, up and down the state at different fire academies. Um, I teach um, at the basic fire academy at Santa Ana College. So like people just started coming to me and asking me like to do all these, to do all these things. And, and that's a miracle, man. You're looking at a miracle and that really, it doesn't come from a place of ego. It's, it's just, it's the truth. I mean, I'm, I was a dead man. And some really, really good dudes came back for me, you know, and they taught me how to be a good person. And I took their direction because I wasn't taking direction from anybody. I got this. I got, I, I got this, you know, and I didn't got this. And, and so I take directions and I have men in my life today that are, like I said, that are the loves of my life. I don't, I was abused by men and I didn't trust men. And now I do. I have safe men in my life that take that baseball bat away from me that I love to beat myself up with. They don't let me do that. They, it's a judgment-free zone. You know, I, my best friend, Jeff, Jeff Henson, I didn't know him from Adam, drove me to save a warrior. He gave me a ride. I have a driver's license. And now he lives two house, two streets behind me and we meet for coffee almost every morning, you know, and, and, and it all came from a conversation where I was like, Hey, Jeff, you know, when you go on vacation and you see those codgers that are in the back of the McDonald's or whatever, or the diner, and they're there every morning in this little town and they meet and solve the world's problems. I want to be those guys someday, you know, me and Mark and Brian. And, and uh, he's like, why wait until we're, you know, he's like, let's do it now. So, so I get to check in with him. And, and we get to share what's going on in our lives. I mean, he's, he's um, been part, he's part of the family now, you know, and I just, you know, I have some pretty awesome people in my life today. And like I said, I, I have the trust of the fire chief and, and the department, you know, I've, I get to help a lot of, I get to help a lot of people today, but it all just comes from my own healing. You know, and I try to explain that to people. You want to heal the people around you, work on your own shit. That's how you heal the people around you. And then you have something to transmit, you know, but if you're out there just giving lip service to people and, you know, and not being authentic, people see right through that stuff. They see right through it, you know? So. Let me ask you this. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing for you to open up when you're with these groups, you know, the Sable Warriors, isolated it's 
stays with them. But at some point you start talking about this to your peers, to your work, to your fellow firefighters. I mean, uh, it's one thing to speak to strangers. I mean, that takes a courage, but it's a, even a, a special courage, more special, however you say that, but mm-hmm. to, to talk to people, you know, and to put yourself really out there. Uh, what was that process like? Um, it was slow. I think I, you know, obviously I started telling my, I still, I started telling my story in 12 step meetings. Um, and then I started to open up and work with other people that were struggling in those 12 step meetings that happened to be first responders. And then I was asked to tell to by Shauna Hill, the clinician that, that um, I was seeing now to go teach people how to meditate. And I was, I'd open up to them a little bit. Um, and it's just, it was a slow, gradual, gradual thing. And, and, and then I got really good at it at, at Sable Warrior. And then I saw, I saw other people getting well just by being vulnerable with them. And I started having these connections with people and I saw them go out and help people. And I was like, okay. And I heard this, I heard this, I'm, I'm a spiritual guy. I believe in a higher power. And one time Jay Clark said to me, listen, God is everything or God is nothing. And I like to believe God is everything. So I know that that energy that I call God has my back and that whatever happens is meant to happen. So if I open up to somebody and they take that information and use it against me, um, it's going to hurt because it's happened. It's happened. Um, I'm going to be okay because for that one person that takes that information and uses uses it against me, there's 50 people out there that have taken it and gotten well. And that's what I focus on. So it took to, 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 to do the training and tell my story in my own department um, happened in September of this year. And you know what I did before I started each one of my, I told my story in my training 12 times for the city of Anaheim and the city of Orange. And every single time before I began, I would just call myself out. You know, and I told, I would say, I said this, you know, I, I tell this story and do this training all over the country and up and down the state, but it's a little different this time because the men and women who lived it with me are sitting in those seats, right? So I'm going to get more emotional. It's going to be a little bit harder in certain areas. Just, just be gentle with me. And just by just by doing that, it made it just made it easier. Just by calling myself out from the very beginning, it made it that much easier. But it was it was when I was done doing that, um, having to look at some of those guys that were part of the story. Um, it was emotional. It was, but it was really healing too. It's really healing. I got so many guys came up to me afterwards. Give me a big old hug. You know, I love you, buddy. I didn't know. I had no idea that, that, you know, 
that you were struggling so much. Like, man, I wish I, you know, I had a guy, there's one part in my story where I, where I, I have a picture of the day I got my badge pinned on and, and I tell the guys that that's a big day for people, right? Everybody remember that day? Everyone shakes their head. Yeah, I remember that day. I remember my wife pinned my badge on my, you know, I'm like, you're looking at a guy in this photo who's sad because his mom didn't show up. She didn't. And, and that's all I could think about. The big, one of the biggest days of my life, my mommy didn't show up to see it. And so I had a buddy call me. And it was, I mean, it was so cool. He, he's just like, Matt, I had no idea. My mom pinned my badge on. And I had no idea that you were standing two guys next to me and you were sad because your mom didn't show up. Man, I wish I would have known, you know? It was, it was so cool. And he's crying, you know? And I'm like, bro, just, just by you picking up the phone and having this conversation, man, I love you, buddy. Like, we didn't talk about that stuff, bro. I wasn't going to tell you that I was sad my mom didn't show up. He's like, but I feel so bad because my mom pinned my badge. And I'm like, don't feel bad at all. Like we're having this conversation now. And dude, like we've been doing this for 20 years, bro. Like I love you, you know? And it was, it was super cool. And I, there was a lot of stuff that, that came out of those, those, um, those trainings that I did in my own, in my own department, you know? And, um, I think that was the final, that was the final, uh, like now I just, I, a lot of it comes, comes from the fact that I don't carry the shame of all that shit anymore. It's not who I am. It's just what happened to me. So I can look you in the eye and tell you that I was abused as a kid. And, and, but I know that I've made amends and I've forgiven those people. And I'm, like I said, I just don't carry that. I don't carry that shame anymore. I have my moments where it makes me sad but I can stand in front of a room uh, in a room in front of my peers now and just not sweat it. Not to say that I don't feel drained. Like, like today I've told, I've talked to you and I, and I did the training here at the, at the treatment center. I'll be wiped when I leave here, but I'm going to go home. I'm going to grab my son. We're going to go to the gym and work out together. I'm going to eat dinner with a friend of mine who's coming who comes over every Wednesday to have dinner. And, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to meditate I might play a little call of duty and then I'm going to bed <laughs> and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to go and I'm going to work on the fire truck because I'm on duty tomorrow and, and, and I'm going to do it all over again. And my life's going to be really, really good because it is. That's awesome. Now we're getting near the end here, but I, I did want to ask you too. Um, I want to talk to you about, not your wife, not just your wife, but wives in general, our spouses. Uh-huh. Don't have to be wives, just spouses. Um, <clears throat> you work as well with them, and they're often a group that is neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to deal with the aftermath of us, of us coming home with all of our baggage and our drama and trauma and everything else. Um, and you've actually put together a program that. Uh, assist with that could you would you mind touching base with with that yeah absolutely and this is something I'm really proud of um because like I said I um our our spouses are they are forgotten a lot of the time and it's important that we're getting all the all the attention now and all the all the resources um 
but we got to heal the family too. So I was doing a lot of work with Save a Warrior and I was out speaking about it. And my wife went through uh, one of the, one of when we started doing female cohorts. And so a lot of pe a lot of wives were, they were seeing that and they were seeing, um, there was, they saw that my wife came through and their husbands or spouses, both male and female were coming back. And these spouses were calling me and they're saying, Hey, Maddie, um, so-and-so is back from Sable Warrior and they're doing great, but I've been taking care of this fool and the house and the kids and the finances for the last 10 years. Can I come to Sable Warrior? I need some help too. And I was like, well, are you a veteran or first responder? And they're like, no. And I was having to turn them away. And it was breaking my heart because there's a need. There was a need. So Dr. Odom here at the treatment center, Tiffany, who's one of the uh, clinicians here, who's worked with first, first responders for a long time, who's married to a first responder, Mark Hernandez, my buddy, and Shauna Hill, who was a, she was a cop. Now she's a clinician who works with first responders. My wife, um, we put together a spouse's retreat. It's called Sage and you can see it and find it. It's at, if you go to www.shiftwellness.com, you'll see um, on there, look up Sage Retreat. And it is very similar to Sable Warrior, it's still it's a little kinder, gentler. They get they do yoga every morning. They get massages. They um, we do a lot of codependency stuff. We but they they learn real quick that they they come there thinking they're gonna learn how to deal with us. And what they what they quickly find out is that they need to seal their own mask and work on their own healing. However that looks, we create a safe place for them to connect and to open up about some stuff and to, to have these aha moments about what needs to change in their lives. And um, we've, had, we've had, I think six, five or six of them now. We do them bi-monthly in Temecula in this beautiful, um, it's uh, ranch. And it's, we do equine and, and we've, we've had a lot of success and I'm super, super happy about that. Um, in Anaheim, we also have what we call the Fire Family. And it's kind of a, it's a 501. Also, it's a nonprofit, kind of spun off our, our union. And that is, um, it's something that Tiffany helped put together with one of our, uh, another one of our wives, Jana Mooney, and they have a board and they, they, they do all the, all the real, all the stuff that we talk about, you know, we talk, we throw the fire family stuff around, but I'll tell you, we, they will do, they did meal trains for my wife and I, when we had COVID, they, one guy was, um, when we, when we were like putting people in hotels when COVID first hit and we didn't know exactly, one guy missed his daughter's second birthday. So they got a birthday gift for her and brought it to her. Like they just, they, everybody, they reach out to the, to the families of the guys who are off on injury. Um, they do all kinds of things and they have, they have different ladies at different, um, at different regional areas of where people live. And 
And so if anybody wants to get a hold of me, I could put them in touch with those ladies and they're happy to help your department figure out how to create something like that in your own department. So um, we have we have that. Like I said, we my buddy Jared, who's a San Diego firefighter, um, I started a fellowship group. It's just it's a support group for first responders and it follows a format. We kind of tweaked the format a little bit to be geared more towards spouses and Jared's wife. Patty is going has just started to um, to do a meeting for first responder spouses. So we're happy to give anybody information they want um, and walk them through what it would be like and how to set up one of those meetings and we'll give them the, the format and everything. So, yeah, we we really want to support our spouses also because um, they're important and they they get they get a little beat up too when it comes to the secondary trauma we bring that shit home and they walk on eggshells. And like we were talking about earlier, we, they know, they learn over time what, what we look like when we walk through that door and whether we're going right to bed or if we're going to be able to do everything they have planned for us that day, or we're going to be able to work on the honeydew list or can they hand the kids off to us or, you know, and that's, that can be traumatizing at times because it's like, you never know which, which Maddie you're going to get. You know, so. Or Jimmy. Or Jimmy, yep. Yeah. Uh, how about touching on shift wellness? Because I think this is important uh, to discuss as well with uh, another thing that you can do. Right. So, so shift wellness, um, not only do we have the retreats under shift, but we help, um, we, we navigate and build algorithms for for different agencies on what to do and how to handle when their people ask for help. So we've got, we've got people all over the spectrum, all over the country, right? You got people that have been like San Diego fire. They have a whole wellness division. They have vetted resources. They know what to do. They know how to get, if a guy asks for help in the city of San Diego fire, they know exactly what to do. Now you get, you go to some, areas and this isn't a make wrong it's just kind of where we're at we're all trying to get up to speed when it comes to this so you got some departments that don't even have peer support teams so we'll help um we'll help create um essentially what that looks like for them and we'll help set up peer support teams and we'll point them in the right direction for peer support training um and we do training also so um it we're, we're really good at working with um, all kinds of different, you know, we understand insurance, we, under, we understand how to get your people the time off, we understand how to work with the workers comp, we're just really good at, at all those different um, ingredients, if you will. So what, what we essentially want to do, you just come to us and we'll do, we'll consult with you on how to, if you have a person ask for help, how do you get them to that help? And how do you get them the time off? How do you get them paid? How do you pay for treatment? What are the good treatment places? Do they just need, do they need treatment? Do they need a trauma retreat? What, what do, do their spouse, are their spouses supported? We just line that all out for departments so that they can help their people. So, and, and we include some training in that. We have all kinds of different training, drug and alcohol training, post-traumatic stress training, 
Um, we come out and do that. We've done it virtually. We've done it in person. You know, with COVID, we we just we're gentle with how people want to proceed and doing that. And I prefer to do it in, in person. And I think we're kind of moving in that direction. I think the last thing I heard, we have 40 million people vaccinated. So the vaccinations are going out and the numbers are going down and, and that's good. So we've been in crisis mode all this whole planet for almost a year. So people are going to start, you know, needing support. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and we have, a, like I said, you can go to, if you're interested in the, in the treatment centers, first responder wellness, um, there it's first responder dash wellness.com. And, uh, it's www.shiftwellness.com. If you're interested in that. And I have, uh, we have, so we're on Instagram. Um, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. It's fireman Maddie. And on Facebook, it's fireman Maddie. Um, so we're all over social media and, and happy to take your phone calls. You know, Dude, what about MySpace? my bro? Um, you know what? I wasn't, I wasn't in the MySpace gang. I didn't do that. one. You missed out. That was the best ever. Did you? you no, know, you could customize your page, have music and all sorts of stuff. You pick who your top eight is. So if somebody's annoyed at you, you, you remove them and they're like, what did I do wrong? It was great. It's like unfriending somebody. Yes. But like for everybody to see. Ooh, public naming. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. Right. My and everybody and everybody started off with one friend guaranteed. And that was Tom. Tom was one friend. Everybody got Tom. Who was Tom? The guy that came up with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what did did uh, Mark Zuckerberg, did he choke out Tom and bury his body? Is that how Mark made I, it? I don't, I don't think Mark could be physical with anybody. I don't think anybody's worried about that. That guy never blinks either. <laughs> Why does he never blink? I don't know. He's, but, a, uh, he's a robot or something. No, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened to Tom. I think Elon Musk built Mark Zuckerberg. That, he's like ai that may have happened okay this is getting weird anyway let's get, let's get more weird so <laughs> i have a thing now this is where i i get to throw a bunch of curveballs at you not really okay cool they're, they're fun though All i have right. a thing called the 25 questions Ooh, okay not that we're gonna do 25 questions but i've got a list and you just need to throw me a number one through 25 and i'll ask you the question and we'll go from there oh let's i love a few it, of these and then i'll get you i'll get you out of here this is great bro i love it so pick a number for me. Can I fail? Can, can you like no fail? It's not. It's not pass or. Is that graded? Pass or fail? No. Okay. Bro, I was gonna have to go meditate. I haven't taken a test in a long time. No need. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, let's see. Thirteen. My lucky number. Favorite movie. <sighs> Favorite movie of all time. Oh, that's a tough one, bro. You want to come back to it? Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm just going to go with The Breakfast Club. <laughs> All right. For, um, better, for better hallway vision. Yeah, I like that movie. <laughs> yeah. Nobody can see us. See, we're all on video. I did the right. pump and arm thing. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, how about another number? Um, three. I'm, I think I'm going to like this answer. Whatever you say, I think it's going to be cool. Okay. First concert. Um, my first concert was Depeche Mode. You like that? I did like that. At Dodger Stadium. Dodger Stadium. Now that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Was that a was that a standalone concert or was that a after the game? It was standalone. And there was a there was a lightning storm going on in the background, like a legit lightning storm that added to the that added to the whole ambiance of the, the whole ambiance of yeah. uh, of Martin Gore just spinning and spinning. Now how old do you think you were there? I was in eighth grade and I was wearing my Z Cabaricis. <laughs> nice. That's great. Uh, how about another one? Another See, I concert? told you these weren't bad. Another another no, another, oh, another, uh, number? another number. Yeah. Because we're gonna start talking music, bro. Um another number. Let's see. Well, four. no, I'll do I'll do that. Hold on. Okay. Uh, there's another one on here. First okay. album. Like favorite or first album I ever bought? Let's do both. Why not? It's my show. Ooh. I can make up the rules. Yeah, you can. God, it's probably, and I'm wanting to guess when I say first album, it was probably a cassette tape. It was. It was. It was a cassette tape. And gosh, I listened to a lot of hairband music when I was a kid. So it was probably like Motley Crue. Nice. Yeah, it was probably Motley Crue. Um, the first CD I ever bought. Yeah, was Metallica in Justice for All. I mean, come on. Right? One black. Yeah. And... Right. Yeah. No, that's yeah, that good. Was... I still, you're you're I a few still years ahead of me, uh, because I I started really with a black album. Okay. I went I was twelfth row center at the forum for the black album concert. It was amazing. And I was deaf for three days <laughs> that's awesome that's yeah. when, that's when james hatfield looked full on like the cowardly lion yes you've seen yeah. those memes right oh yeah he he does he, look like it. he does okay yeah it was amazing <laughs> yeah but, but favorite album i first those are first albums. favorite album that is so hard you know what one of my favorite albums i'm i'm a punk rocker one of my favorite, I love the Alkaline Trio. I don't even know if you've ever heard of them. I've heard of them, but I, I couldn't tell you a song. Yeah. So my favorite album is probably um, Good Morning by Alkaline Trio. Okay. Yeah. One of the coolest things I have, by the way, mm-hmm. I, I actually think you would appreciate this, mm-hmm. is in my garage, I've got a 100 CD jukebox. That is cool. So something you, I mean, back in the day, you get a bar punching the numbers the four numbers it's not yeah, a screen it's you know scrolling through the albums yes it's amazing yeah you go to the die bars and it's like acdc and it's like your your standard songs yeah yeah they'll have have some pink floyd stuff on there yeah see i think uh, i'm a music guy i like all kinds of music like i was listening to tupac today <laughs> I, I mean yeah you're in California, you know, I, little California love. That's right. But I, I, um, I used to listen to a lot of metal and punk rock, and and now I'm finding myself because I'm trying to just chill. I listen to a lot of like 
Hawaiian reggae, like revolution and stick figure, iration. You know, I I love that kind Even of stuff. Even the the like the the my chill out music is a Jack Johnson. Yeah. Just yeah. take me, you know, and you got you can get to. How long does it take you to get to the ocean? From where? From you right now, even. Right now? Yeah. About five minutes. Yeah, five minutes. My house, I can walk. See, I mean, that's your reality every day. For me, it's like flights. Yeah. If I if I want water, I got to fill up the bathtub. Right. But look at this, bro. I, I know your your his background is <laughs> is the ocean, like with a surf. It's amazing. I'm getting barreled, bro. Right here in my office. <laughs> I love the ocean. It's so healing. It's the heartbeat of the planet, bro. I'll be there. I was, I was surfing the other day and I saw a big old stinking um, juvenile great white. And it was not far from me. It was the longest paddle in. I know they're out there. I just don't want to see them. But it, the fin went under and I'm like, this thing's going to come up from underneath me and take my arm. See, I mean, that's that's. That's intense. I've I've always wanted to go to San Francisco, just so because they can they'll take you out. I forget it's a couple hours away, mm -hmm. and and you can actually get in a cage and get out there with the great whites. Yeah. So I mean that's still that's on the bucket list. Bro, when you do that, let me know what your heart rate is. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, yeah right about I, that. Yeah, I don't know. Guy, a lot of guys say that once you do something like that, you're not as you're not as freaked out by it. And when you're under the water with them, it's when you're half. You know, I surf, so I can lay on my board. But like, they'll get you. We watched way too much Shark Week to know, man. Just come right. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I love the ocean. Like I said, I, I know they're out there, but I don't want to see them. Let's let's do one more, and I'll get you out of here. Okay, let's do two more. Bro, this is fun. Two, two more. All right. You got it. Still okay. to you. So, number nine. See, I, I feel like I know this answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Here's your, you got a choice. Okay, cool. Unlimited sushi for life or unlimited tacos for life. What do you think what my answer is going to be? Sushi. Yes. 100%. I mean, you have to. I mean, right. you five minutes away. Right. In the ocean. You're, you can walk to it. I mean, right. if you were had that opportunity for that fresh of fish, right. um, why wouldn't you? It's like a brainer. But tacos are bomb too. That's a, it wasn't it wasn't easy. I know I came out with it real quick, but it's not an easy answer. But sushi's oh yeah. What, what, what's your favorite roll? Um they have one here that I like spicy tuna. But like they have a spicy tuna one here that's like called like a dynamite roll and it's got like yeah jalapenos on top it just burns your mouth your it clears your sinuses i love it yep they got nice. poke here like poke is like everywhere here have you ever had a poke bowl no i haven't yeah that's you gotta be it's just yeah so amazing when you come here to visit because you're gonna come visit we're gonna go have poke bowls i'm in all right i'm in okay uh number 20 favorite dessert um hot fudge cake remember bob's big boy you remember bob big bob's big boy did they have those in 
like uh, frishes. That's what yeah. they're called here. But okay. the big boy. Yeah. Yeah. So they had they had this hot fudge cake. It was like chocolate cake, then ice cream, vanilla ice cream, and then chocolate cake, and then hot fudge all over it. So we don't have, we don't have too many of those anymore out here. So what I do at the firehouse is I just get I make a chocolate cake. I make sure that we have vanilla ice cream. And as soon as that cake comes out of the oven, scoop a piece while it's still hot, scoop some ice cream on it and cover it in hot fudge. That's my favorite dessert. That's awesome. That yeah. sounds good. Right? It does. I think I might do it on the way up. I should stop at the store. Tomorrow. And- <laughs> tomorrow? Are you cooking yeah. tomorrow? At the, at the firehouse? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I might do it. One of our right. guys is on a diet. If you know? do, I want to pick. Okay. Nice. <laughs> awesome. All right. We're uh, last thing here. Where can everybody find you at? They wanted to, um, to track you down. Track me down. Um, let's see. One way is to email me at, let's see. I got so many emails. Matt.Fiorenza, F-I-O-R-E-N-Z-A at firstresponder-wellness.com. That's one of them. And you can find me on Instagram at Fireman Maddie. Um, and on Facebook at Fireman Maddie. Perfect. Cool. I guess you already I guess you already said those. I don't think you said the email. So I want to make sure everybody had that. So perfect. And awesome. I think, I think that's it. I think you sorry. I didn't quite catch that. Could you please serious, <laughs> serious trying to you're listening to us. Oh man. It was like you said, it. it's Elon Musk or somebody. Somebody's well, Steve Jobs, I don't know. Phenomenon. <laughs> Something's going on. Yes. It's our ancestors' brother. Big brother to... is watching and listening. Yeah. Or the or our, our ancestors are trying to they're they're uh blessing us for doing this work. I hope so. Because you're they getting the you're right. There. You're getting the word out there. Well, and you're helping. I mean, again, for you to just come out and be able to say this and share all this stuff with everybody, I mean it's huge. Uh you know, there's potentially listeners out there that need to know that it's okay to have these issues and there's help out there yeah you don't have to do this alone 100 percent. yep and i'm happy to help and i'm i'm really honored and blessed really from the bottom of my heart for to have you reach out to me and, and to spend this time with you is pretty cool because like i said four years ago no one wanted nothing to do with me and i don't blame them but today, you know, I get to hang out with really amazing men like you that are putting good out into the world. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you're still here. Yeah, I'm me glad too. everything worked out. And thank you're going to help more people be here too. So yeah, thank you. It means a lot, bro. It really does. All right. Well, with that, he's Matt or Maddie. I'm Jim or Jimmy. And we are definitely out of time. So he's going to go have uh, dinner and work out and everything else. And hell, it's about my bedtime here. So. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks.